You're a conscious luminary and you're getting it going in the NFT space. Welcome to Golden Meta Sessions with Doc Peace. I'm your host, Dr. Peace Uche, also known as Doc Peace. Golden Meta Sessions is a time to celebrate creative expression, featuring NFT creatives who share their doses of inspiration on how they got started, plus tips and strategies on how to boldly creatively express to empower your NFT journey and achieve your version of success. New episodes drop weekly every Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so press subscribe for your weekly dose of Golden Meta Sessions with Doc Peace. This episode of Golden Meta Sessions with Doc Peace podcast is sponsored by Raka, a metaverse company and exclusive manager of French Montana's NFT album drop, 2D Montega, dropping soon. Today we have a golden guest joining us. David Bianchi is a multi-hyphenate artist and the creator of Spinema, spoken word cinema. He is the first to bring poetic cinematic films to the blockchain and is one of the leaders in a long-form cinematic NFTs. Much of David's work focuses on socially conscious issues to elevate the artistic conversation while raising money for nonprofit organizations that are working to change the problems his art addresses. His work has been featured in Forbes and curated at Art Basel at Scope Miami. Ready to flow gold? I'm ready. Let's go. Welcome David Bianchi to Golden Meta Sessions with Dog Peace. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. So let's dive right on into it. So we know who you are. You're David Bianchi. So let's get right to the heart of it. You obtained a significant amount of accolades and fame in Web3 by writing and directing the first ever spinema or spoken word cinema. Can you tell us more about that and what inspired you to think outside the box in this way? Sure, I, I appreciate uh, the kind introduction. Um, you know, I, I was back in March, 2021, I did mint the first award-winning spoken word film as an NFT. And I say spoken word film, which is, uh, which is the, the sort of breakdown of spinema. So spinema is an art genre that I created and I hold the trademark to that. So um, basically these are high concept films told entirely in spoken word poetry that are experimental, but also socially conscious. And so I've been producing these films going back all the way to 2005, I produced my first one. And so over the course of almost two decades, I've been sort of, you know, forging my steel and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, sharpening the knives and coming up with what ultimately became Spinema. I didn't realize that Spinema was what I was creating, you know, in those early days. Um, spoken word as an actor um, and a filmmaker in Hollywood was what sort of kept me motivated in the in-betweens and the in-betweens are in between the headshot, the casting director and the one line on general hospital and the bartending gig and the waiting gig and everything else. Right. So uh, I started sort of independently creating these films. And over the course of the years, I sort of realized that I was onto something and, and I've scoured the internet and nobody in the world is producing um, poetic films to the degree that I am. Um, you know, sometimes enlisting as much as 25 person crews and, you know, multiple, you know, high level cameras, Reds, Airy Minis and Alexas and things like that. Um, original scores, professional cinematographers, award-winning directors, and so on and so forth. Um, so the first one was minted, um, a piece called I Can Breathe, and that was uh, picked up by an organization called Metapurse. 
Uh, they are widely known for acquiring the $69 million Beeple at Christie's. Uh, that story was uh, picked up by Forbes and sort of the, the ball sort of kept running from there. Um, so that was sort of my foray into, into the NFT and Web3 space. But, you know, before that, I was already doing this, right? This was something that was already part of my system. It was already who I was as an artist. A lot of these films had played film festivals. So I was able to discover an outlet within NFTs and sort of, you know, enter that space and carve a lane. Yes, that's gold. I'm curious to know what your background with it's in, with spoken word. So you mentioned how you were already integrating your spoken word in between acting gigs. Can you can you share more about how you even got involved and became a spoken word artist? Sure. I um, you know, going back to the early to the mid 90s during the, the what I call the golden era of, of hip hop when it was like East Coast, West Coast, and it was really sort of getting like globalization. It was either, you know, you were either bigger, you were Pac. And if you're on the East Coast, you were Biggie. And so I was a, a battle rapper back then, a B-boy of sorts. And so freestyle MCing was just part of who I was. And then as I went to, to theater school at Arizona State University, as I was leaving to do that, I discovered um, what I call performance poetry. I mean, I say this often, I kind of, I resent the term spoken word. I mean, every word is spoken. So what the fuck makes you different? You know, um, I think that um, what I do is I call it performance poetry. I think that it blurs the lines between, you know, a physical uh, manifestation of the language um, and, uh, and physical performance art. You know, there are a lot of poets that can read out of a book, but that doesn't make them perform as poets. Mm. I think that what, uh, like, if you look at a slam poet, for example, slam poets are oftentimes in the category of performance poets mm -hmm. because they are performing artists. You could put them on mute and you could still feel something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's the distinction. And when you think about spinema, it's, it's even trickier um, because you need to have a performer that understands physical language, that understands voice and diction and delivery as a poet, but also knows how to play for the nuances of a lens. I've discovered over my years that you can make a great actor, a good spinema poet, but you can't make a good poet, a spinema actor. It doesn't work the other way around because poets are so used to hitting the back of a room, you know, as opposed to playing for the nuances of a lens. Cause I've tried to get poets to be spinema players and it's fucking failed. <laughs> so it's, it's, it was a, uh, it was an interesting trial by fire. It sounds um, like it's a gift. It, it, it's a natural gift that people have to embody in order to actually deliver it. And I love that term, performance poetry. I personally use the term rhythmic poetry to, to describe spoken word. Sure. Yeah. And, and I started, you know, I, back in, in theater school, I started producing uh, slam events. And so I competed in national slams with the Phoenix team while I was at Arizona State. And then as I moved to Hollywood in 2005, I was, you know, I was at every single open mic. I was at the, uh, you know, I was at the Poets Lounge with guys like, you know, Steve Connell, Sekou, The Misfit, you know, Sheehan, uh, Poetry. Back, back then it was Omari Hardwick was one of the guys that we were running with, safe, you know, Sufi Bradshaw. These are all people that have all gone on to do incredible things. And Q, for example, you know, so these are all the cats that I was, that I was spit poetry with every single week. And that just kind of fed me. But knowing that cinema and film and TV was eventually what I came to Hollywood to do, it made sense that I figured out a way to blend the both of them. Because um, when we did it for the first time, I wasn't even sure if it was going to work. In fact, my first director, Daniel J. Pico, who I, God bless his heart, I love him. He, he wasn't even sure if it was going to work. 
He's like, I want to make this into a film. I don't really know how I'm going to do it, but we're going to try. And, uh, and you know, and we tried and, and we succeeded quite well. And it played a lot of film festivals. So because poetry, as you know, is more, I'll say spoken word, is more akin to music than it is to film. That's, I, I mean, that. they, yeah, the Grammys have an original spoken word category. They have a best spoken word album category at the Grammys. But you're not seeing that in film. There's no trophy for, you know, now there actually are poetry film festivals around the world, believe it or not. Gold, gold. I, I'm curious to know, were you surprised by the success that you had with your spinemas and overall in Web3? Oh, yeah. I was shocked. Like, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. Um, myself, like everybody else, was, you know, housed in the shoebox during the pandemic. And I was looking for ways to figure out what was going to be the next chapter of my life because uh, Hollywood was shut down. Um, it was, I always use the metaphor that the pandemic was God pushing me off the cliff and telling the birdie to fly, you know? And so I just flapped my wings and kept trying to protect myself from hitting the rocks. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the news, the news broke about the $69 million sale at Christie's of this artist Beeple crap, who I was already following on, on Instagram. And as soon as I saw that there was that kind of money being pushed into crypto art, I was like, okay, what is this? I was already well-versed in the under, in, in the understanding of blockchain because I had been, I started buying cryptocurrency in late 2017. So it was an easy transition, but the hard thing was identifying how I wanted to enter the space. And, you know, I was able to find a platform that allowed for larger megabyte capacities. And so I was able to mint this poetic film. I can't breathe the spinema film. Wow. And just for sheer amounts of hustle, I just, I created really good marketing assets, thumbnails and trailers and things. And I was just DMing the hell out of everybody. I was on clubhouse, like spending hours and hours and hours listening and asking questions and trying to figure out how to work within the web three NFT ecosystem. What was it? What did it mean? I was figuring it all out. And, um, you know, I ended up landing in the hands of some really, you know, sophisticated people in that space. A guy named Paulo Moreno, for example, he ended up introducing me to a guy named Farouk. And then, you know, we ended up doing like a, a clubhouse room of 2000 people. And, you know, there wasn't a dry eye in the clubhouse room, people all over the world. And I remember I cried multiple times. Um, I remember um, when it auctioned successfully to Metapurse. Uh, I remember hugging my girlfriend and, and we both cried on each other because so much work has gone into this work even before Web3, right? I actually, for the first time in my life, really felt like my, my spinema had found a home. I felt that it was really given real purpose because of the degree of, of influence and sophistication in the Web3 community. Not only was it collected at a high level, suddenly it was like Lee Merritt found out about it. Benjamin Crump found out about it. Bridget Floyd watched it. The Floyd family, the George Floyd Memorial Foundation, it ended up being played at the one-year memoriam of George Floyd's passing. And like, this is what happened as a result of NFTs. Forbes picked up the story. It was like, I got my SAG card in 2004. I'd done a lot of TV and a lot of film. I was never in Forbes off the back of my acting career. I don't know a lot of actors that are, to be quite honest, you know? Yeah, so. I love this story. And I mean, I, I resonate because I too had shifted to the Web3 space before I was ever put in Forbes magazine or had the opportunity to be in Forbes. And I'm curious to know of all of these things that you, you shared, 
that helps set you up for success in Web3, the connections that were made, the fact that you're doing something completely novel, were there any specific components of this journey that you believe were necessary that set you up for success? Um, I think the faculties that an artist must carry with them to be successful in this space are rooted in entrepreneurship. And those are faculties that I developed early on as an actor trying to make it, you know, learning how to build my own website, um, create my own marketing materials, build my own postcards, you know, edit my own actors reels, um, you know, uh, being classically trained uh, and being a professional poet and a, and a speaker and an orator certainly came in handy, especially with audio speaking platforms like clubhouse and now Twitter spaces. But um, yeah. the things that I discovered um, in, in the early days of, of minting my own NFTs was, is that you're only as good as the people in the community that believe in what you're doing. Uh, we often use the term community in, in the Web3 space, and it's often very much trivialized. But the truth is, is that if you don't have a support mechanism, you know, your work won't be supported. And, and, the, and the, the value of your work is whatever the marketplace is willing to pay for it. And if no one in the marketplace knows you exist, then your art has no value. It's just like putting a box of Kleenex up at a CVS store and hoping it sells against the next one, right? What is setting your product aside from every other Kleenex that's on that shelf? Mm -hmm. So that is rooted in community to create, you know, market value for whatever it is that you're trying to, to sell in the space. Entrepreneurship is key. I do mm -hmm. believe that to be true. So having that background, having that support, knowing what to do in order to market your brand and your projects is, is crucial. I recall you sharing with me at ETH Denver, I believe it was this statement, go where you're wanted. Mm. So I'm curious how, how this plays a role in the platforms that you choose to make your work on. Yeah, um, it's important to go where you're wanted and know when you're not wanted. You know, the the NFT space is, has really grown exponentially in the last, you know, 14 months since I've been involved in it. And, um, you know, there's communities, there are PFP communities, and within that communities, there's even sub communities, there's the gamer community, there's play to earn community, there's there's the there's the Decentraland community, and then there's the high art community, and now there's the film and web three media community. So just get in where you fit in you know, and um, that way you can create a, a maximum impact. I think that's really, really important is understanding your voice as an artist and identifying with people that are going to support your mission. Mm. I think that's really, really, really important. Getting in where you fit in. How does this play into making room at the table? Because that's another, some, that's something that you've done yourself, right? You've made yeah. room, you built your own, your own table. <laughs> so how does that fit in? Like where you're, you're making room at the table, but you're also getting in where you fit in. How does, how do those two types of positions merge? Well, it's, it's tricky. It's a, it's a fine balance. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a thought leader earlier this morning and that 
not only are we like technologically, artistically, and socially outliers because we're already involved in Web three. Like you, nine out of ten, nine out of ten restaurants in town, you can't have a Web three conversation in, right? Mm-hmm. So we're already outliers, and so but within the Web three and NFT ecosystem, I'm an additional outlier because I'm creating Spinema. <laughs> so I've got to sort of explain myself even within my community. But when people experience um, what I do. Um, their response unanimously has been very positive, emotionally impactful. You know, I create socially conscious art that is very time capsule, you know, so I believe that people will be able to look back at 2021 and 2022 and look at my work and they'll be able to see a reflection of what was going on societally at the time um, and what the, the, the oppressed voices um, were thinking and or saying at the time. You know, because you could look at the PFP, you could look at the doodle, or you could look at the starfish, and that's not going to tell you anything about what was going on in the world. But at the high art level, I want to create art that is that is speaking to where we are uh, as as a human, um, as a human vessel, as artistic human vessel. Um, making room at the table, I think, is just people will make room for you if your art is good. And you're creating an impact and you're touching people's hearts. I think people will make space for you. I believe that the NFT community is wide open. We're open to receiving anyone who's doing anything of real merit and of value. And as long as you're coming from a a proper moral compass and you're here for the long run and you're not here just to take, but you're here to also provide, I don't think that anybody will have uh, difficulty finding a place to sit. Gold, gold. I, I really resonate with that. And uh, I want to just congratulate you again for not only creating these spinemas that have really touched and spoken to many individuals in the community, myself included, but also trademarking the term spinema. And that, again, speaks to this entrepreneurial background that you have, where it, it comes up again and again, where it, it's important that you need to know these skill sets in order to, to protect yourself, protect your brand, protect your project, market your brand, market your project, all of these different components that go into having success in the space. It's more than just community building. It's a matter of showing up in the space. Yeah, a thousand percent. Um you have to show up in the space to be able to make enough noise, but at some point you have to protect yourself, right? You have to protect your intellectual properties. And then if you're going into collaborations with other artists in the space, you have to have real world contracts. So there are a few fundamental things that you have to understand. You know, you've got no branding. You've got to know how to present yourself. You should know how to build a, a business plan, a proposal, a deck, a prospectus. Mm-hmm. You should be able to understand basic legalese, um, you should have relatively decent communication skills. Um, you should have sort of, you know, midterm, short-term, midterm, long-term goals. Um, and we're in 2022. If you're not in 2024 already, I think you're behind the ball. You know, like what is, what's your roadmap look like just as a human being, not necessarily out in the world. Um, and if you don't know, it's important to be able and be willing to ask. There's so many people in the space that are wide open doors of information. I've been one of those individuals and I still am. I'm a fountain of information for people all the time. And a lot of people were fountains of information for me. So, you know, we each one teach one. So everything you need to know is out there. Like yes. there are, there are, there are attorneys, there are crypto CPAs, there are experienced artists, there are platform managers, community managers, uh, clubhouses, Twitter space, all this stuff is available and it's all for free. 
but you have to be willing to look for it, right? And so no matter what we're talking about here, right? Tony Robbins said something really fascinating that really stuck with me. He said, success, entrepreneurial success, right? Is 20% know-how and 80% psychology, right? You have, to, you, you have to have what it takes inside you to be able to step up every single day to pursue the things that you need to pursue in order to get to where you want to go. You know, and, and, and that's, that's psychology. Just not everybody is built to be an entrepreneur. You know, not everybody's cut from that cloth, right? Um, and I find that the most successful artists that I see in the space and that I have met in the space have that entrepreneurial gumption. Mm. Yes, I want to lean into this a little bit more because in order for us to be able to continue making forward steps in the space, it's more than just being able to creatively express. It's like, can you put food on the table to continue going in this direction, to continue these ventures? So I'm curious to know if we can speak on this a little bit more, how did you budget the Spinema and your other projects in the Web3 space so that you could set yourself up for success in terms of receiving an ROI, for example? Sure. Um, well, the, the first answer is, as I said, I was, I've been making Spinema films back to 2005. Now, listen, I was working as a waiter and a bartender. You know, I was taken from Peter to pay Paul. I didn't have a pot to piss in. I was doing it like every other independent filmmaker, beg, begging, cheating and stealing, you know? And so that's why, when you know, you don't question why David Bianchi is the guy, right? Because this is stuff that I've been doing way before y'all met me. You know, it's part of my blood. Mm. It's part of my genetics. And mm. so to come into the Web3 space and be able to mint these projects and return uh, and invest and have a return on my investment to me was mind blowing, mind blowing. I never made these socially conscious films with any desire to make any money back. It was just because this is what I'm told to do. It's what my spirit tells me to do. It's what my DNA, my code, my ancestry, God, whatever you want to call it, the universal intelligence, I'm driven to do this stuff, right? I've chosen to take on the role of being a, a, a social artivist, right? And so to earn money to me is just icing on the cake because I was going to do it with or without Web3. I was doing it without Web3. So what was going to stop me, right? Uh, now, as far as where we are now, and stepping into the space and having earned some return on some of these projects, I am able to recycle mm. those profits into new projects. So, I mean, currently, my current project that's currently on Super Rare, uh, The Revolution is being televised. It's a series of cinematic ones of ones. Uh, and one was just acquired by G Money, and I'm super grateful for that. It, these premiered at Art Basel at Scope Miami at Art Basel and also at Dreamverse at NFT NYC. And, um, I just minted one yesterday that will be part of Super Rare's first inaugural physical gallery in Soho uh, next month and the month thereafter. So I'm one of 14 artists to showcase there. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a good look. It's a good look. I'm super grateful. And, um, you know, that is a direct result of equity earned from NFT sales that I then recycled back into creating a new project to be minted as an NFT. And that was the first project that I actually used recycled money from ROI ventures to create new work, right? And you know, when we're talking about money, it's important that the audience understands that this is the first time in art history that artists are able to receive the benefits of a secondary sale. Mm -hmm. And that 
that right there is is the tectonic shift and why this is probably the biggest art movement since painting on cave walls. I say that all the time. <laughs> I really believe that it is because you know wealthy people survive through passive equity, passive income. And that's how wealthy people survive. Blue collar people don't have that luxury because they're living check to check, hand to mouth. Mm -hmm. And actors and directors and network television and, and the studio level also survive on passive income. We survive on residuals. You know, most of the time actors aren't on set. Most of the time, actors are doing what they're doing and they're, they're developing their craft. They're developing the next job. They're auditioning. They're taking meetings. They're developing intellectual property scripts and so on and so forth. So those that mailbox money, right? That residual money is what keeps the lights on in the in-betweens. And that's what artists are now able to do because of the smart contracts on Ethereum. It's gold. It's absolutely life-changing. Yeah. I'm curious to know when you shared more about your, your experience with shifting into the Web3 space after hustling for 15 plus years to try to find those who appreciated your, your work and you finally found that in Web3. I'm curious to know, how, how, how did that feel when you finally realized that you found a community that actually appreciated what you were doing monetary-wise and, 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 and other, otherwise? They, like, they were all in and they, how, did, how did that feel? It was, I think, like I said earlier, um, you know, I cried a lot <laughs> and it was tears of joy, you know, um, you know, with the, I can't breathe project. I didn't make that. We didn't make, that was directed by Ryan LaMasters, by the way. Mm -hmm. And and we didn't make that film for commercial success. We made it for the movement and for it to be lifted to that level reminded people and still to this day reminds people of that movement. I just performed it um, with the Reform Alliance, which is Jay-Z's and Meek Mill's organization um, at NFTLA. And it's still reminding people now, two years later, a year and a half later, about what happened in the summer of 2020. And, um, and this is the power of the NFT community. And so I, I feel more at home artistically than I ever have. And I feel driven by massive purpose because the upside potential of what we can do and what we are doing as artists in the NFT space, I think is limitless. Um, I'm developing and building a brand uh, that I hope will, you know, leave a legacy. I, I say often that I want to be able to leave a legacy of work that will be discussed in 2300, you know, and so off we go to the races and you and I combined are doing the same thing. We have mutual missions. Although we operate independently, we do have a mutual mission. Yes. And I applaud you for that as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, for that acknowledgement and that support. It's wonderful yeah. to be on this journey with you, David. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you said something really tender uh, at NFT LA that really touched my heart. Um, I think you said something to the effect that I, David Bianchi lit the torch and I'm, I'm here to carry it or something to that effect. And, yeah, you know, that, that really touched my heart because oftentimes we create art, very impactful art, emotional art, stuff that makes me emotional right now when yeah. I think about it. And we oftentimes don't know who's listening. We don't know who we're affecting and we don't know who we're inspiring. And I remember one of the things that I said back in March, April, 2021, people would ask me, you know, what do you hope from this? And I was like, I hope I can inspire other poets to come after me to do this stuff. And, and, and you're creating a whirlwind of your own and you're inspiring other people. So the connection is strong. 
Thank you so much for that. Um, and I, I completely agree with you. And that definitely resonates because that's my, that's my purpose as well, David, um, is to help others align with their soul purpose. And I mm. think that that's something that you are very passionate about as well. And you use spoken word or performance poetry to ignite the light within others. And I recall when we first connected, if this was at East Denver, when we first connected, and I recall that moment when I realized that on the dance floor, I was dancing with David Bianchi. And <laughs> I, like, I don't know if you felt, but I was, I was very excited. And I remember that hug that we shared. I believe we have it on camera somewhere. It, it was an incredible experience being in your presence because it's someone that every time I would mention I was a spoken word artist in the space, every single individual would say, have you met David Bianchi? And I'd been like, no, I have not yet until that mm. very moment. And I've been following yeah. you for some time and to be able to connect in that way where we were literally just dancing and vibing together before it clicked that right. you were David Bianchi. And I recall us sharing that moment. And since then we've been able to connect at all of these events and, and journey together in, in this space. And so I'm curious to know with all of these events that you're at, all these speaking engagements, all the projects that you're working on, like every single thing that you're invested in in Web3, how are you balancing this with your acting career? How are you doing all this? I have, this is a great question. I do remember, I mean, that moment when we met and it was, it, it was a very powerful moment. It was, it was really, really cool. I'll remember that for a very long time. And I'm, listen, and, and, and I'm so glad that, that, you know, we were trudging this road together and we've become friends and this and that. So um, yeah, it was a very strong moment. It was really cool. Yeah. Flostradamus was DJing that night. Yes. Um, Flostradamus. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but to your question, you know, I really think God has just been very kind with me. You know, um, I recently uh, did a big recurring guest star on a, sh on a universal show um, for Peacock and sci-fi um, that shot in Vancouver. I live in Los Angeles and I had, I booked the job. It's a big show and it almost, and literally the dates were overlapping with NFT NYC. And this shows you the degree of commitment is that like, there was a piece of me is a fragment of me that was debating what I should do. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was even in that place really tells you how drawn I am to the artistic world of NFTs, because I got my screen actors gold card in 2004 at no point did I ever believe I did not want to be an actor. Right. And I, and, and, and I'm privileged to be an actor. And, uh, but the fact that I was even on the cusp of having conversations with people about, wow, should I take this job or should I not? That just goes to show the power of the draw of web three. So, um, God made it so that the, the, the dates lined up and I'm actually so thankful that I did it because it was an incredible experience. And, you know, the showrunner, Chris Sheridan is just a legend of a guy. He was an executive producer on a, on a small show called family guy for 20 years. And, uh, you know, it's just the experiences of being in Vancouver and working on that show are just, you know, immeasurable. So, you know, uh, I work really, really hard. I spend, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day working, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes of phone calls and emails and things like that. Um, but I'm looking to scale into something, you know, way bigger than us, way bigger than um, the spinema films. I want to scale into something that will compete with the studios, Ooh. you know, um, 
And uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll leave that there. We can have a side conversation on what that means, but um, I'm, you know, I want to use the platform that I've built as an artist to build in web three, to be able to create something that is beyond just one of one art or, you know, collections on the internet on open sea. I want to create something that will really uh, create a cultural movement. Gold. Thank you for sharing that. Let's take a quick moment now to hear from our sponsors. This episode of Golden Meta Sessions with Dog Peace podcast is sponsored by Raka, a metaverse company and exclusive manager of French Montana's NFT album drop, 2D Montega. Welcome back to Golden Meta Sessions with Dog Peace. Gold, and I'm I'm really identifying another thing here right now. So earlier we discussed how important it is that those artists and creatives who are looking to find success in web three, they need to be entrepreneurs. We need to have Mm -hmm. those entrepreneurial skill sets, but it's also important for us to be visionaries as well, to think ahead, to think, to think outside the box. And that's exactly what you're doing. I'm curious to know what exactly you're building, but we will get to that um, shortly when you're ready Mm -hmm. to share. Um, But I'm curious also to know what advice do you have for other spoken word artists or even other struggling actors who are trying to find their place in Web3 and create an additional revenue stream? Well, it's a good question. Um, and I get asked that question a lot because people, mm-hmm. you know, especially in my Hollywood circles, they see the, mm-hmm. the success that I'm having. And I just had a conversation with an actress friend of mine just literally two nights ago. Oh, I'm so excited. I want to be, I want to see what you're doing in this NFT space. I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. So what I do is I'll text you a couple of links and I hate to say it, but eight times out of 10, they don't show up to the Twitter spaces. I invite them to take eight action. T- eight, exactly. What did I just say? It's, 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 it's 80% psychology. You got to want this shit. You have to, I tell people, I want to get in this NFT shit. Okay. Do you know what the blockchain is? Oh, uh, no, no, I don't know. All right. Well, all right. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a text message mm-hmm. and it says, what is the blockchain? What is Ethereum? What is Bitcoin? How does the blockchain work? What is a MetaMask? Uh, what is an NFT? How does the NFT work? I'm going to text message you all this shit. Mm-hmm. You're going to go on YouTube and you're going to do your homework. And once you do that homework, then come back and let's have a real conversation and I can help you build. But if you can't take yourself to the water well to drink a little bit of water, I can't feed you. God will, God will only do for a man what a man will do for himself. So very true. The fact that you are so very busy, but you take time out of your schedule to help onboard your community members one-on-one like this, that's incredible, David. And it, it really hits on the fact that how important it is that not only do you need to have that curiosity, you have to have immense curiosity to be <laughs> able to take the steps that you need to take to learn yeah. this new language. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is. It's not as hard as people make it seem. I mean, but the truth is, is that the first thing to any artist or any actor or anybody that's interested in NFTs, my first advice is discover the blockchain, understand what it is, right? The simple answer to this is like back in the days of dial-up internet, you had this clunky monitor, and then you had this telephone cord that connected to a plastic box that connected to the wall. If you didn't understand what port to put that phone wire in on this plastic box, the plastic box wouldn't work when it connected to your monitor. You needed to know which port to put it in and why, right? And so think of the blockchain and NFTs right now the same way. I can't explain an NFT and a MetaMask to you unless you understand Mm. the components of Ethereum. And if you don't understand the components of Ethereum, if you don't understand the components of blockchain, you can't understand Ethereum. 
Oh, yes. And this actually reminds me of this conversation I have all the time with my neighbor, my neighbor friend. You always have to have that neighbor friend who fixes things around your house. <laughs> and so my neighbor friend, he always comes over and he says the same thing. You're a man or a woman is only as good as their tools, but you need to right. use those tools effectively. If you don't understand the blockchain, if you don't understand these tools, it's going to be very difficult for you to use them to the, to the highest extent. Yeah. And, and listen, and there's two things I think that make entrepreneurs really step up to the plate, right? Fear motivated and money driven. I am fear motivated and I am money driven, right? That's what entrepreneurs might say. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I want. So I'm, I'm fear motivated and I'm money driven because I want to get some money so I can remove the fear. Uh, right. With now, that fear, I didn't, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, ahead, but ahead, with that ahead. fear, I know that fear causes you to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make. So how does that play into making good decisions along your journey? Well, sure. I mean, you, you've got to have the metrics to be able to make sound, rational, sober-minded decisions. But, you know, even like, how did I find NFTs? It was an underlying suspicion of fear. Mm. Yeah, I, we were all afraid. How were we going to end up, right? Okay, so that little underbelly of fear created a curiosity and drove me to look in different places, right? So in other words, Hollywood was kind of saying, no, we're closed right now. So I'm going to take that no, and I'm going to move in this direction, and I'm going to figure out what I can do so I don't have to live in this place of anxiety because, you know, the federal aid was going to end. Who knew what was going to happen and so on and so forth. So um, I think that if, if an artist is motivated by the technology, they can find a space. But you've got to be motivated by the technology. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, there's no way I could have reaped the inspirational benefits of having successfully auctioned my first NFT if I wasn't motivated to discover the way to get through the maze first. Because the platform that I minted that on was a platform called Ephemera. Now they are a curated platform. What does that mean? That means I have to email them and ask them and pitch them my proposal. And they have to invite me in and whitelist me so I can mint on their platform. So let alone the pitfalls of getting a MetaMask and transferring from Coinbase to a MetaMask, getting Ethereum and figuring out how platforms work. I literally had to like deep dive in multiple platforms to figure out what was going to work and then build a proposal and blindly submit to this platform and get a yes and then get to the point that I can mint. So you see all the hurdles I had to jump over to even get to the point that I was even minting the first spoken word film as an NFT. And then once I minted it, I had to figure out how to make it successful. Let's go, baby. My back is up against the wall. I'm fighting. Let's go. What are we doing? What are we doing? I didn't come here to lose. So on top of all of these, these uh, hurdles that you had to jump through, you're bringing culture into web three. We're in a space where there's not much culture, <laughs> right? So was there additional like battle in terms of finding a place for, for this culture that you're bringing to the space? Um, or was it welcomed? I, I, I think there's a lot of culture in the NFT space. Um, may not be a lot of uh, African-American culture. May not be a lot of, uh, um, of uh, Latino and indigenous uh, culture, but there's a lot of culture. <laughs> we definitely have a culture. Um, but I think as it relates to like, you know, American BIPOC uh, folks, yeah, there's a very, very small percentage of individuals that are working and, and, and building and being successful in the space. Um, you know, this goes back to what I said earlier, you know, kind of get in where you fit in, yeah. you know, um, 
find the community of people that really believe in what you're putting down. You know, there's a lot of great fine art collectors out there that for one reason or another, my style of art is not their brand. I still respect them as collectors and I admire their collections. And there's a lot of people that have smiled to my face and said, man, I love your art, man. You're a legend, bro. Okay. So why don't you own any of my work? <laughs> you know, but, uh, but that's just, that just is what it is. So as far as being a bit of an outlier culturally, um, yeah, that, there is a truth to that. But I've been able to um, align myself with some Caucasian counterparts in this community that really believed and really continue to believe in what I'm doing. You know, even if we go all the way back to the days of the abolitionist movements and the Underground Railroad, Let's not get it twisted. The Underground Railroad was what it was because of our brave Caucasian counterparts, right? And so as much as slavery was brought here, and now we're having a deeper conversation on something else, even though it was brought here by white folks, it was also broken. And a lot of those bounds were broken as a result of uh, leaders in the Caucasian community. So, um, you know, it kind of swings both ways in in some ways. Mm -hmm. I'd like to share another quote, actually, that you shared with me, where you stated that our job is to translate text into a moving, palpable, and human experience for Mm -hmm. the audience, Mm -hmm. to evoke a catharsis, to Mm -hmm. bring the words to life in a way that is honest to its present, past, and future. I'm curious to know, why, why is this our job? Well, for me, I'm an actor. That's my job. What's my job? My job is to turn text into a moving, palpable, physiological, emotional experience transmitted through my physical form to move an audience. Mm. And in order to do that, I have to fill the shoes of that text in a way that is honest to its past, present, and future. So what I'm saying to you right now as David Bianchi is dialogue that's honest to my past, present, and future. And so when, as actors, when we embody the text that is the personification of another human being, we have to do our best to understand his or her environment, his or her idiosyncrasies, their geography, their uh, emotional tics, um, their religious beliefs. You have to sort of understand as much as you can about the dynamics of that character to be able to fill it in a way that's honest and to evoke a catharsis because performance is about an audience as much as it is about the performer. So catharsis um, is an old Greek term that I, we use often in, in theater, which is to create pathos, right? Or to create empathy from the audience member that has been delivered by the performer. Right. And so it's this invisible language that exists between audience and performer. And you as a poet, you understand what that is. But if you've never been on stage, you don't really know what that is. Right. But even it happens through a screen. You know, when you get emotional, when you watch a movie in the movie theater, that's a catharsis. Right. You're receiving that's an invisible language between you and the personification of that character coming through that screen. And so if we're doing our job well, I believe that we should be doing those things. You know, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, academics that an attorney must know. There's a certain amount of of procedures that medical doctors must adhere to in order to do their job well. And I think that actors 
uh, there's a certain amount of things that actors must do as well to do their job well. This is very true. And I want to touch on this. One of this, this is one of my last questions here for you today, because there's sure. so many questions I have, and I'm sure many, many that we can go into. But I'm curious to know, as you're sharing this, these various, like deep elements and terminology and all of these components that play into how you're showing up when you perform and when you speak, I'm curious to know, how are you able to, or, and if you are able to monetize from your performance element of, of your, your business, because we touched on how this is a business, what you're doing here, what you're forming is a business. So Mm -hmm. is each component of your business, is it, are you able to monetize from each of the elements or is it more of part of the marketing type of plan. And I know that the, you might not be ready for this question, but I'm sure I'm many ready. of us are curious, especially those who are listening, who are looking to make their project and their brand more of a business. How, how do you go about like monetizing and, and setting aside different components so that you can find um, r- different revenue streams within your, within your business? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, would someone pay money to hear me talk? They do. Mm-hmm. Um, am I earning revenue off this podcast? No, um, but I'm earning social currency. Mm-hmm. And so that's a different kind of currency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, it's important. And I look, I suffer from this. It's important to really try to project focus, you know, so that you're not just shotgun spraying your energy. And I, I do have trouble centering my energy in many ways. I just work really, really hard. So I get it done. Um, I, I don't have an answer for monetizing everything that is David Bianchi, right? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a day where maybe I can monetize, you know, a public talk and a spoken word poet and a spoken word bid and maybe a medium article on top of my art? Maybe there's going to be a way. Um, but for now, I like the idea of just expanding the David Bianchi brand and increasing the value of it at the same time, giving value to people that hear what I have to say and get inspired by what I offer artistically, because I think there's a little bit more value in social currency than there is in hard currency. It's like in, in Hollywood specifically, I think that um, good work, good art is synonymous with fame, which is synonymous with wealth in Hollywood. Uh, And if you just keep showing up, eventually you're going to get your break. And I think NFTs are the same. I think they follow the same sort of rules in a very general kind of way that, you know, good work, good art is synonymous with fame, which is going to be synonymous with wealth. You're going to build a following in, in discords and in Twitter spaces and you're, and people are going to pay attention and people are going to buy your art and then you're going to become more popular and then you're going to build more wealth potential. Um, the, the hard part is how, to, how do you retain success? That's really hard. You know, a lot of people get splashes in the pan, you know? Yeah, this is good stuff. And another question that comes up is how do you turn social currency into hard currency? There are many people who are probably listening who have hundreds of thousands of followers and have a big community, but they are not sure exactly how to turn that social currency into hard currency. 
Well, I tell you, like if you've got 150,000 followers, you probably got people knocking on your door to, <laughs> to do ads all the time, you know, but you got to do something that's organic to your brand. Um, you know, micro influencers are very, very effective and they're earning a lot of money. And I think the, the, the term influencer, which sort of popped up during the YouTube boom, um, has become something that is no longer tongue in cheek. It's taken very seriously. So I think that um, if you have an audience, just do what's honest for your brand. You know, if you have an audience that, that, that likes watching you spin on a hula hoop, you got no business marketing computer products, right? Like, is do something that's, that's, that's honest to you, yes. I think. Yes. Um, and I, and I'm interested in, in focusing on the art, you know, I'm not really interested in, um, in like mass commercial exploitation. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just too much of an artist. I like art and, and people believe in my art. And so I, I, I don't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. Gold, gold. And I know you've been building. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know what's next on the horizon for David Bianchi. Sure. Uh, I mentioned, uh, the gallery in Soho with super rare. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, the revolution series is continuing to mint on super rare, a series of ones of ones, um, as a producer, uh, I just finished, uh, our, my fifth feature film as a producer that I also am story writer and also star in, uh, directed by, uh, Emmy nominee, Chris Falkins. It's a big feature film that we've been working on for many, many years. Um, I'm developing uh, some big spinema projects um, that will be uh, minted on the blockchain. And uh, a great series that's coming very, very soon is a project called Senses. And it is being powered by Async Blueprints Music. And it's going to be a 1000 uh, NFT generative collection of my spoken word poetry. So what I did was I wrote 145 to 60 second poems that are introspective, philosophical and uplifting, 20 poems per human sense. And each of these poems for each category of sense, I wrote two haikus for scarcity. So I'm collaborated with an incredible EDM producer named Please and Thank You. And we produced original score based on the Salvaggio um, healing frequencies. So the music will be very sound bath in its approach. Music that heals stress, that heals tissue, that heals the body, mind, body, and spirit. Above and beyond that, uh, an artist named uh, Dogan has created uh, AI fractal uh, engine art that is informed by mathematical data extracted from my voice. So what we'll basically have is a 1000 NFT collection that will be the sound of my poetry, the sound of the music and original one of one generative AI fractal art that is informed by my voice to create a 1000 NFT collection uh, that will drop on async uh, blueprints music uh, mid June. So it's never been done before. Um, it's very groundbreaking in its approach. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what we're going to do for the mint price, probably around 0.15. Um, and I'm very excited about this because anyone who acquires one of these pieces will own the intellectual property rights of my written poetry as well. So you'll be able, if you own 10 of them, you can go and publish a David Bianchi poetry book. Um, and it'll be unique to see how people collect them because it's one we often collect because of the visual art. 
but then you'll hear the music and then you'll hear the poetry and then you'll read the poetry. So it's going to create this really interesting dynamic to see how collectors respond to it. But it's very, very high art. And that will eventually lead into a real life, immersive, audio, visual, sound healing experiences through the reading of the poetry and the sound bathing and the visuals. Wow. Absolutely gold. Thank you so much for putting out this incredible <laughs> content and sharing that with us today. I'm curious to know one last question or one of the last few questions here for you today is some of the projects that you're sharing, I understand that you've decided to build in secret. Why, mm-hmm. why would you decide to build in secret versus in public? Well, there's this old saying that says, work in silence, let success be your noise. Mm. And I've discovered over the years of producing film, I used to wear my professional heart on my sleeve. I would always tell people, "What I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I talk to this person. But that, that works against you because if it doesn't play out, the optics on it are ugly because you're only as good as your word. You're only as good as your ability to execute, right? And so for me, I, any artist, whether you're looking at an artist like Fuck Render, whether you're looking at Coldy, whether you're looking at, um, even if you're looking at like the Board Ape Yacht Club right now, for example, like literally like they're about to mint the metaverse of the other side. They haven't even announced what each plot is going to cost. <laughs> There's certain things you just got to keep to yourself until the time is right. Because God forbid you speak out of turn and those things don't transpire. It makes you look foolish, unprofessional, unreliable. Um, and so like even with this, this census thing. So I've been, I haven't really, this is the first time I've actually spoken public about it because I was really sort of waiting for all the elements to be concrete enough where I was willing to say, yes, we're in this. It's happening. Everybody's working in unison, you know. These things take time. Gold, you know? gold. These things do take time. And I appreciate you for, for sharing with us for the very first, one of the very first times that you're sharing this and you're dropping these golden nuggets with us today. Oh, you're going to love this. You're, you're, you're going to love senses. And I am so excited to, to, to see your reaction to it. I'm excited to react. I'm excited to experience. So last final question for you today, David, is... Of all the golden nuggets that you have shared with us today, what three golden takeaways do you have for creatives within our golden tribe? Stay out of your own way. And that's different for everyone. You know, it really is. Maybe you're reactionary. Maybe you don't know how to delegate. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe you do too many drugs. Like... Mm. Whatever that is, stay out of your own way. Um, Once you clear that vessel, then keep showing up, right? Despite emotional, spiritual consequences. Um, And no is part of your yes. Hmm. You need to understand that no is part of your yes. Okay. You have to be willing to accept the word no as a pathway to getting to your yes. If a water river is running down a hill and you place a boulder in the middle of that river, the river will split. 
but it will continue to flow. If you block it with another stone, that stream will split, but it will continue to flow. You know, there's um there's an old story about the about an old Chinaman uh, who says, "Is it good or is it bad?" And um, the 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 short the short of it is, um, you know, he was one of the poorest men in the land, and he was working with his son. And then one day, a, a, a herd of wild horses came into his property, and everybody in the village says, "Oh my God, you're wealthy! This is this is amazing! You're now the richest man in the land." And he says, "Well, is it good or is it bad?" And as some time went on, the the neighbors were kind of puzzled by his response. And as time went on, his son was training one of the horses and trying to break one of the Mustangs, and he was thrown off the horse and shattered his legs. And then the neighbors said, well, God, that's awful news, your poor son. How are you going to be able to maintain your farm now? You don't have help. The farmer says, well, I don't know. Is it good or is it bad? Wow. Some time went on, and the land was invaded by a neighboring army, and all the sons of the territory were called to go to war. And many of them were slaughtered in war. But the Chinaman's son, because of his inability to walk at the time of his injury, was unable to go to war. And he was able to heal and help his father and the land heal with the horses and sowing the land. And he wasn't killed in battle. And so there's some lessons in there. Is it good or is it bad? And when you hear the word no, or you get dismayed, or things don't go your way as you perceive they should. Remember the Chinaman. Is it good or is it bad? And our job is to work in the work business and the results are not up to you. Gold. Wow. I really do appreciate you, David Bianchi, for sharing with us your light and your insights. I'm honored that you are my mentor and I'm honored that you spent time and your energy to be with us here today on Golden Meta Sessions with Doc Peace. Thank well, you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Golden Meta Sessions with Doc Peace. I hope you got that dose of inspiration you were welcoming. Remember to subscribe. New episodes drop weekly every Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. As always, reminding you, it is you who ultimately chooses to consciously express and be gold, a genuine, original, loving dreamer, as you boldly step into the metaverse and achieve your version of success. I'm your host, Doc Peace. What an honor it is to journey with you into NFTs. Stay gold.